Well, in this gospel we just heard in this great feast of St. Mary Magdalene, we saw that there is a disconnect between the objective reality that Jesus had had been raised from the dead, had risen from the dead, and was no longer in the tomb. He actually had walked out of the tomb himself. And Mary Magdalene's own subjective reality, what she knew, what she understood about what had taken place. She thought not only that he was still dead, but that they had taken, they had stolen her body away, his body away. And the same happens in baptism, doesn't it? There's, a, there's an objective reality. Something happens at baptism, so something's going to happen here pretty soon to baby Dolores Kateri. And we know there, there's a long list of things. Baptism takes away original sin, takes away all personal sins, all, and all punishment due to sin, although I don't think Dolores has committed any personal sins yet. Makes her a participant in the divine life of the Trinity through sanctifying grace, incorporates her into Christ and into his church, bestows all the theological virtues and the gifts of the Holy Spirit. All these things have happened to all, all those that have been baptized, and it will happen to Dolores here soon. And maybe it can, be, it can all be summarized with the fact that she will become a beloved daughter of God. So we've, been, we've all that have been baptized would become beloved sons and daughters of God. So that's the objective reality. That's what's going to happen to her. But will she know that? Will she know that right now? What will, she, will her subjective reality change? Well, of course not. It can't, it can't yet. But it's not even just that it, it's automatically going to change. Right? We know that there are so many, so many baptized Christians out there who don't know all of this and who don't live as beloved sons and beloved daughters of God. So there's a disconnect between what happens objectively and what individual subjective experiences are of this reality. So then the question for us, especially for the parents and godparents, but for all of us, because we're all invested in raising this new, this new Christian, the question for us is, what is our role? How do we help her to know that, to know that she's a beloved daughter of God and to live as such? And there are, there are a list of things here, things both in the natural plane and the supernatural plane, things that, that we can all do. Of course, especially their parents and godparents and her, and her older siblings, can tell her every day that they love her, that she is beloved. You know, the more that we know ourselves to be beloved by our parents and by our relatives, the easier the, tra- the transition is to, to know ourselves as beloved sons and daughters of God. To play with her, to laugh with her, to cry with her, to teach her to pray and to serve the poor. To spend time with her. You know, there's no substitute for time. And you know, I know, I know a lot of you are, are, are uh, homeschooling, and those that aren't, this is you know, I know homeschooling is not for everyone, so this is no judgment on that. But the thing I think that things that makes homeschooling so special, so so effective, is the amount of time that parents spend with their children. You know, there's really no substitute for time, and so long as that time is is quality time, is positive and it's healthy. Of course, it's not perfect. There there are going to be fights and bickerings and all the rest. But so long as that time is overall positive, those bonds that are being formed between parents and children are, are really essential. But whether you're homeschooling or not, spending time with, with, Kateri, or with Dolores Kateri and with, with children, that's something really important for them to know that they're beloved. And when, you know, when parents do something wrong and when godparents do something wrong to her and around her to apologize, you know, to have the humility to recognize our mistakes and to say we're sorry. You know, sure, we all want to be perfect, but 
we're not there yet. And so when we fall, we, we, want, to say our, we want to say sorry both to God and to those whom we offend, especially young ones who, who may be really hurt by that. And, you know, to continue to teach the commandments, the saints, the virtues, the precepts of the church, to bring her to church again and again and again and again, mass and confession, all the sacraments, and to give her to Christ and to Mary again and again and again and again. Okay, these are all practical things. You, Jake and Lindsay, of course, know that already. I'm just repeating to you what, you, what I've learned from you. And so I want to at least try to contribute something, which is the maybe something that I think is more foundational than all of that, than all of these practical things that we can do to help, to help a new Christian to grow up. And I'll take a cue from the first reading from the prophet Ezekiel, where God spoke through him and said, I will sprinkle clean water upon you to cleanse you from all your impurities and from all your idols, I will cleanse you. So what are your impurities? What are your impurities in your heart? And what are the idols in your lives? And there's a question for me as well. What are our impurities in our hearts and the idols in our lives? The, the truth is that the Lord wants to free us from them, from all of them. And those impurities, those idols are often subtle. You know, we know the big ones. We know the, the grave ones. That's easy to recognize. But what about the subtle ones? Those can come up. We can create little altars in our heart out of something good. You know, there's something good in our lives, something that we recognize to be something good. But then we make a little idol out of that, out of that good thing. And then we become attached to it. And then we conform our lives to it. And that's not how the Lord intended. You know, the good things are meant to be signposts to lead us to him. So, you know, many of you have driven to Boise. All of you probably have driven to Boise. You know that there are signs that will take you from here to Boise. The destination, the point of making that drive and looking at those signs is to get to Boise. But if you were to stop at any one of those signs and pitch a tent underneath it and stay there for a while, of course, you have missed the point. Now, that's, that's silly. That's easy. We don't do that. But we do that with spiritual things. You know, we recognize spiritual goods, and they're meant to be signposts for us to the Lord. And we pitch our tents underneath them, and we confuse the signposts for God himself. And sometimes this happens out of something bad. You know, if somebody hurts us, somebody wounds us, somebody mistreats us, then we, we come up with ways to protect ourselves in the future. And so these become little vows, little idols, little impurities in our hearts. And the reason why that affects us is because our thirst, as we heard in, in the psalm, our thirst is not going to be satiated by other people. And so not only are other people inevitably going to let us down because we don't love other people perfectly, so why would we expect them to love us perfectly? So they're going to let us down. But what's more important here is, is not the fact that they hurt us, but rather that this reminds us that it's not them who is going to satiate our thirst, that our hearts are made actually for the Lord. So the Lord is the one who will fulfill us. And, you know, we actually have this in Mary Magdalene, in this reading, that when, when she was crying, she was hurt because she thought that Jesus had, had died and left her and then that, she had, that her, his body had been taken away from her. When she came to him and recognized him, Listen to what he said to her in return. This is Jesus, right? This is not one who has hurt her, not one who is a bad attachment, but Jesus himself said this to her. 
Stop holding on to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. Now, of course, Jesus wants us to be attached to him in a sense. He wants us to love him above all else. He has told us that if we don't love him above our mother and father and sister and brother, etc., we're not worthy of him. And he is God. We're made for him. Yet somehow we have to grapple with this. Somehow Jesus wants us to be detached from him. Maybe not him himself as a person, but he doesn't want us to be attached to the ways that he manifests himself to us here on earth, to the ways that he gives himself to us here. Those are signposts that he's given us. He's bringing us into a deeper relationship with him. And finally, he's leading us to the Father. So he wants us to be detached from the ways that he's given himself to us here so that we can go deeper and further and higher, go with him all the way to the Father, to not cling to him here on earth, but to follow him all the way to the Father. And these are his his words, stop holding on to me. He said we can follow him, we can follow him all the way to the Father. And we have examples of this, plethora of examples of this in the saints. Of course, in Our Lady, above all, she was hurt. She, was, she, was, she witnessed her son to be crucified, and she was full of sorrows. Yet these sorrows didn't bring her down. They only fueled, fueled her love. We have, of course, St. Kateri Tekakwitha. She lost her whole family to smallpox. She herself, her face was disfigured, and her vision was blurred, and this didn't stop her. This just became the way through which she loved God. And her name, Tekakwitha, means the one who stumbled. So she stumbled around because she went not by sight, but by faith. And finally, Mary Magdalene, whose feast we celebrate today. Her subjective reality changed in this gospel reading from beginning to end. It changed. She didn't know. She thought she, thought she was doing the right thing by clinging to Jesus and by, by, by really um, drowning in her sorrows. But she needed the Lord to remind her that he is risen and he wants to lead us to the Father. So she now was ready to follow the risen Lord all the way to the Father. And this is what made her the apostle to the apostles. Okay, so just in closing, why is this the fundamental, the fundamental element in regards to raising little Dolores as a Christian? It can be summarized in this way because as a parent and as a godparent, the best, the best thing that you can do for your children is, is for your own hearts to be free, to be free of all of these impurities, all of these idols. And this is what the Lord wants to do for you. He wants to clear, cleanse you from all of these. So for you to allow him to cleanse you, this is the path of sanctification, the path to the Father, both for yourselves and for your children.